Good morning. And last year, we were discussing the Medrash, the Medrash Rabbah, which we gave out. We didn't complete the Marmachemis. We might get back to it. It was about the Rambam involving Rabbi Echel and Rishlokish, but the backdrop was Yoyokin's Taina, which I guess he believed in the words he was saying, even though it's hard to understand what his Havmina was. But when they came to him and they told him that Nebuchadnezzar was waiting for you and that you needed to surrender because we had a conversation with Nebuchadnezzar and when he laid siege, we asked him if the time of the Churban was here, which they had a Messiah that it was probably coming, even though there's still room for Tshuva. But he came with his forces, stayed a bit of a distance because he was scared, Nebuchadnezzar himself. And the Sahedrin sent him a delegation. This is the time for the Chorban. He said, no, no, I just want Yoyakim. Just send him and I'll be on my way. And although you can't trust him, over here he really was not interested in the Chorban for his own personal reasons, not because he saw the inherent value in the Beis Hamikdash because he didn't really understand it. But he wasn't here for that. He wanted Yoyakim and they came to Yoyakim and they said that we'd like to hand you over. And he said, How can you do that? I'm not exactly sure. Did he say that because he thought he was going to win this Lamdash argument? Or Cher has nothing to do with the Sugya whatsoever. They told him, We have precedent. Your great, 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 great grandfather gave instructions that when Shevet Ben Rikhi was in the city and Yoyev had the same conversation with Sarah Bazasher, she was a big tzaddikist and she said, Am I allowed to hand them over? And Yoyev said, I assure you, he's a Mary Bamachus and he's Chayimisa. Yoyakim is Chayimisa many times over for all the things he was doing. All the horrific various chamuras that he did and they told him, to give an example, Shev Ben he's putting them in danger, he rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar, that's enough, but he had personal Averis, which were Mechaev Mis, did he have official Hasra and Edim? One could never know, but he was definitely an example of somebody you can hand over, and they did. And he either died on the way down as the Meshachim over the wall because he was such a Mephunic, he couldn't handle it, or another version that they got him and dragged him all over the place and killed him and put his body into a carcass of a chamar to fulfill the Pusik and he had a pretty horrific ending. And that is the version of the Medrash. The Yushalmi, which I'll just read to you, it's a few lines, the Yushalmi in Shkalim Perik Shishi, has a similar Maisa. Similarity is that Nebuchadnezzar came to town again, laid siege and said, I want the king. The king over here is Yehoyachim's son, Yehoyachim. And the Midrashim explained that he appointed the son for the Mahalach over here, that they wanted somebody from the royal family ruling over the people. Perhaps they'd behave better, he'd be able to collect taxes. And then when he got home, uh, they told him, Nebuchadnezzar's advisor says, I understand, he just had a problem with Yehoyachim, he had to arrest him and kill him. Why'd you appoint the son? He's going to give you the same problem, and he can't be trusted, which probably wasn't true in this case, but Nebuchadnezzar came back with the army and laid siege again. And we see the Lushan. He came again, he stayed a safe distance in Yishalayim, 
and sent the army. You could say it's two girsas in the story, one about Yoyachim, one about Yoyachim. You don't have to come on to that. It's not a stira. There were two different times, and it could be Nebuchadnezzar came twice. And they asked him the same question, is it time for the Churban? No, I'm not here for that right now. The person I just appointed, I changed my mind, and I want him. It's not the same story, because the result is different. They came to Yachin, who was also at this point, not really with the program in terms of Fumkite, but he was better than Yehoyachim, both in the reaction over here and the fact that he's going to do tshuva in jail, in Bavl. He's going to be in jail, in the bar, in Bavl, for decades, as long as Nebuchadnezzar is in charge. Nebuchadnezzar won't kill him, he will survive the trip. And he's Makapal Adin, and he does tshuva. Does tshuva in jail. Well, yet uh, Mr. Shem discussed a lot about Yoyachin, and he will actually father the next son who is going to be in line for Machas Beis David. There's no longer an acting Machas Beis David by the time he grows up. But as we learned over Shuas, there's got to be somebody from Machas Beis David around somewhere to be the link in line for the future Melech Mashiach. So, Yoyachin will have a far better ending. As a matter of fact, he's still alive when Nebuchadnezzar dies. And Nebuchadnezzar's son, who is, uh, seems to be not a bad guy, takes him out right away. It doesn't hold to his father's regime, actions, cruelty. And he frees him and he mechabed him. And he supports him and he gives him COVID and lets everybody know that he's Malchus uh, Beis David. It's a, it's a nice, nice ending or a nicest. The Chorban happens by that time, but... It's as nice as you can get under the circumstances, yes. Was this the beginning of the Reshulisa, the institution of Reshulisa? It certainly set a precedent. There's a lot that's going to go, go on before then. I mean, we have, we have Bovol and then the fall of Bovol and Bolshatzar and Perm. There's a lot in between. Uh, a lot. Then we have Bayashani. But there's precedent, and it's not the first, not the last. There were Chashav Yidin and Reshulisa from the royal line that the rulers who were inclined for Ruchnius understood the Jews as the chosen people and respected their leaders. And it hasn't happened as much as we want, but it's not, not going to be bizarre. And yes, the bubble in general is going to have not the same regime at all, a different kufa, but it's going to have for most of the reign, there were some cruel despots in between who caused a lot of trouble, but most of the time we know from Talmud Bavli it was pretty benevolent, as, as, as Gullah goes, uh, for good reason. Kosh set it up that the Teresh of Alpeh should be flourishing and should survive and be printed. What happened by Rabbi Danasi and Antoninus is going to happen again in Bavl with uh, Talmud Bavli. So that's, that's ways off. But yes, it's, uh, it's going to happen. The Gemara continues. He demands Yoyachin. So with the greatest of respect, not the same conversation, not the same result as with Yehoyakin. The emperor wants you. Now, Yehoyakin is going to leave the city and to turn himself in. Yeah, he already saw what happened to Yehoyakin. So that itself is a bit of a uh, prodding and convinced him to Surrender. He wasn't sure when he goes to meet Nebuchadnezzar 
if he's going to be able to convince him to stay on the throne and convince him that he's not going to rebel and pledge allegiance again. He's going to try. It's not going to work. And Nebuchadnezzar is going to have him and his mother, the queen mother is always very chashuv, and the rest of the family arrested and sent to bubble to languish in jail for decades. But he doesn't die. He doesn't try to execute him. And that's the good news here. Silver lining. What's fascinating about the next part of the Yushalmi, he goes and he's preparing to leave the city. Before he does that, shows you again the difference, the marked difference between Yoyochin and Yoyochim. Kivin Shashamameamkach, he hears with his Andrian Paskins that he's gotta go and he's not gonna fight them. Notal Maftechus shall Besamikdish. He takes the keys. Kainim had the keys, I guess the Kain Gadol had the keys. Skankain Gadol, the uh, Gabayim, the Gizber, and the king. I guess the king had the master keys. And he takes the keys, Allah Lagaga Shalhechal, and he goes to the roof. So it shows you, even though he officially wasn't that from now, but he's pretty from. Yoachim didn't have this reaction at all. And he sort of dabbins, Up till now, we were more or less Nehmanim. Interesting word. We were Nehmanim. This is happening because they weren't Nehmanim. But we tried our best, or we almost tried our best. We should have tried our best. Or we're sort of admitting that... Uh, we, uh, Nehmanim, in the frame of reference, we weren't trying to openly rebel. It just tells you more about Yoyochim uh, than some of the other operators, including his father. And the keys were in our hands. We no longer can be, or we weren't, or we didn't do enough to do tshuva. However you touch it, we're giving back the keys. And the Gemara goes on to say that the two versions of the story very similarly, either a, a hand came down and took the keys, or the keys went up and didn't come down, which is in direct violation to the regular laws of gravity, which means either way it was an ace. Where they saw a hand that didn't come back down, it didn't come back down. The question is uh, what, what happened at the moment, but both stories tell you that there was in the eve of the Chorban, and come out an ace nigla, to show them that, yes, you weren't Naaman, and there's going to be a big problem, and there's going to be trouble, and there's going to be suffering, but I'm still here, which is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu will do to show Klai Yisrael, as he still shows us today, that he's still here. We just got to see the Nisim, then it was more Begoli, and that's the uh, silver lining, the story that's about to unfold. But the fascinating Yerushalmi, it's doesn't sound like the end of the Yashami, it's the same story and just the gears of change, Yoyachim and Yoyachim. It's a completely different, the first part starts like that, it's a completely different narrative. And Yoyachim already shows us his uh, true colors in a positive way that uh, he really has remorse. He's going to come to the emperor now, we're going to go back to the Pasuk for a few Pasukim, and he's going to try, and Bukhanetzer is not going to be very cooperative. Take a look at Malachim Beis, Perichav Dalid, Pasuk Yud. We'll be left off. And now we're going to see what happens, not only with Yoyachin, but with his generation. Gemara Gittin is going to mention this was a chesed from Akash Baruch Hu within the din, that Akash Baruch Hu is going to send a wave of the best and brightest of Yushalayim to Bovel 
a decade plus early to set the foundations of the community so that when everybody else gets there, if and when everybody else gets there, I keep putting that in because I don't want to give the impression that there's no chance to do tshuva. The window is closing quickly, if not almost sealed shut, and we know there's going to be a churban because we know the rest of Malachim, but when we get to the discussions between Yemiyo and Novi and Sifkiyo, we have to figure out part of the Navu is going to be there's going to be a churban give up, but if you give up, it's going to be easier. So at that point, uh, it seems to be a point of no return. Right now, the preparations seem to be in full force to make sure that that gullus is something that Klaisol can survive. It's more difficult to tell at this point whether somebody could have still done tshuva. Not really necessary for us to know. Tshuva is always possible on a personal level. The question is the uh, gzeira for Klai Yisrael. So Yoyochen and the people that are going to Gullis, going into Gullis are the Rosh Sanhedrin, Tamil Chachamim, and the people that will lay the foundations. And this is a tremendous, tremendous chesed, something that we did not have here in Gullis, America. Just to pick one contrast. Koshbach, who in his chesed rachamim, still gave us so much in terms of the resources and the ability to rebound, but we lost a lot at the beginning until we got on our feet. When I say lost a lot, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of people whose tefillin are in the Hudson somewhere near Ellis Island. I don't know if that's figurative or literal. I wasn't there. But we didn't have the foundation. There were great people here, but it wasn't an organized community. And now, Baruch Hashem, it's very organized. Is anything perfect? It was never perfect all along. We're still in Gullahs. But it's as good as it can possibly be in terms of a Baruch Hu's kemat, open nisim, of the contrast to the total disarray, uh, almost depression, poverty, uh, and assimilation. The assimilation is attitude in the 20s and 30s and 40s, and there were great tzaddikim, many of your parents and grandparents who the reason we're sitting here. So I'm not talking about the Echidim, but the uh, situation, it was being written off very quickly by the quote-unquote establishment, the Fry Yidin, who wanted to assimilate quicker than the, uh, uh, you could say, uh, God bless America, uh, Nebuch. And they were writing it off that, yeah, the Orthodox uh, give them the lifespan, whoever's coming over here, those old relics, <laughs> and by the 40s, 50s, it'll be all gone. Well, unfortunately, we take no... No consolation in this part. Unfortunately, it's the exact opposite, and all the people who are writing that aren't around anymore, and neither are their children. The, that's the good news. The other news is that there were decades and decades where the infrastructure wasn't there, the money wasn't there, and the, uh, the ability to get things done, except for the Yechidim and Moisa Nefesh, which got us over the hump. And we, I, I like to talk about this a lot because uh, the history is fading, and the Parents and grandparents, great-grandparents who witnessed this, um, when they said it over, they didn't talk about it too much. As often, they didn't talk about the Holocaust too much. Uh, the spiritual Holocaust over here was something that was so depressing and fighting the odds and fighting the, uh, the tidal wave was extremely difficult, and it really took a gavurus anefesh. It's a din shochanar, which is discussing with my son last night, uh, to try to give this over. Uh, there's a din that we don't use too much in Baruch Hashem. I suppose we don't have to use it that you could stop davening in the middle of davening by Yishtabach and make a whole tumult 
and not let the tzibur continue if there's a great community need. You have to collect something or you have to make a macha. And just to, you know, we're not continuing davening. And we all know how much everybody wants to go on to Bichas Kriyashma by Yishtabach already. And you can stop the press until we get it done. So Dina Shochanar, how to do it, what the rules are, what the regulations are. There are probably more than these uh, two meisim, but I know of a meisim, I think this took place in Boston, probably in the 20s and 30s, and there were rabbanim here, European rabbanim, who were big tzaddik and big tzaddik, but they were up against a lot with little support. And I remember this particular meisim stuck in my head. There was a mikvah in the community in horrific disrepair. And it gets so bad, it's not just not geschmack and not clean, which is part of the problem. It just doesn't work after a while. You know, Zeichelin passes the mikvah. We're just talking about using your filming pools and mikvah. If the filter's on, is that Zeichelin? Is it leaking? Is it not leaking? It's Mayim Shuvim. That's another problem. So then it passes it. Maybe Midaresa, but uh, even, even for, for men, they like to use the mikvah. It doesn't have to be. It could be Mayim Shuvim. But don't use your pool certainly for a, a real one, but then they had mikvahs that were built, but they needed upkeep and nobody had any money, and the Orthodox didn't have the money, that's for sure. But they had people davening the Orthodox shul who weren't that Orthodox. The good news is davening the Orthodox shul. The other news is, is that they didn't necessarily have the cheshek to keep up the institution in terms of what was really needed. So they desperately needed some funds, and the uh, Nashim Sitkanias came over to the Rav. So what do we do? He said, look, I, I don't know if it's going to work, but I tried and uh, can't get anything. From the Ezra Nashim, from the balcony, I want you to make a tumult and start uh, interrupting davening by Yishtabach. See how this is going to go over. And they, um, they did that per the instructions. And was there a tumult? And they said, uh, one uh, man, uh, I think, screamed out, Isha Bazar Minayim. Machlekes Bashi tastes whether that's an iser. It's just not done. It's a funny, funny line to say. They raised the money. They weren't continuing the davening, and they were pintaliyid. The people in shul, whether they were very orthodox, whether the kids were on the derech, but they were firm enough. They wanted to get to Kriyshma, and they weren't going anywhere with this racket. So it worked, and uh, there were cases in New York where they did that to start Torvadas. I think that that's a famous story where uh, Belsky's uh, grandparents who were the... Uh, and they, um, they made a tumult, and they stopped happening until they raised the funds to start the yeshiva. A yeshiva? What are you yeshiva for? This is America. It's not necessary. But they stopped happening, and Lamaisa, there were enough concerned citizens to do it. So we were catching up the whole time. Baruch Hashem, we, we caught up a while ago. There's still a lot of work to be done to get all the people who wrote it off to bring them back and to keep building, but it was an Aveda here at Kojabar who prepared the whole thing beforehand. They left 11 years at a time, and they, they prepared, and they laid the foundation, and when the throngs got there, there was a uh, shul, a yeshiva, a mikvahs, everything was set up. Mikvahs then were a little bit easier to build than a little hole in the sidewalk and they, uh, when it rained. It was a different operation, but there needed... Uh, Somebody to, to prepare it and to lay the foundation. That was nace number one. Nace number two, as we will see later, is that had they fulfilled the exact number in the Gemachia of the Shantem, as the Pasuk says in the Tachacha, and they stayed in Eitz Yisrael, the exact amount of years the Chorban would have followed and it would have been a bigger disaster. And the Kosh Baruch made sure that that number wasn't hit and it didn't exactly fit into the Pasuk. 
to bypass it. Similarly, the Briska Rav used to say that there's Tzvei in the time of the Mashiach, there's Bita and Achishena. Bita is the last possible time that Kosh Baruch will bring the Gula, and then there's Achishena, if we move it up a bit, and he said the scenario with the amount of casualties of Malaslan, Mohammed's Gilgamogog, and everything that's going to transpire is going to be a lot better with Achishena. So, new, so we always feel inadequate if our, if our ancestors did bring the Mashiach and all the former Gedalim, so what are we going to do? Biskarov is to say that first of all, we're building on this Chusim, and second of all, what you got to do is back it up a little bit. It's not the exact time frame of Be'itam, and then already it's not the regular plan, so you could bypass a lot of it. So that's what happened over here by the first Corbin. Same thing. And the Kosh Baruch backed it up a little bit, so it shouldn't be total destruction of the people, rather just on the city and on the Beis Amitish itself, and many people will get killed, but somebody survives because it wasn't the exact script of what will be in the Tachacha. So we'll see that in Mitzvah Shem later as well in the Gemara. So even though it's going to sound very horrific, and it is, there is the Yad Hashem working in the background to make the hachanas for the survival. Let's go to the Pasuk, Pasuk Yud. Be'esahi, alu abde nebuchadnezzar melabavu Yishalayim. Notice how it says, abde nebuchadnezzar. He was still keeping a safe distance. He still remembered some cherv and he wasn't that interested in taking a chance. Tavo e'er b'matzar, ve'yavu nebuchadnezzar melabavu le'ir v'avadav tzar melav, ve'yetze yayachem el chiyudel melabavu hu ve'ima v'avadav. Remember Ima, the queen mother, who was always a of a member of the team of diplomats. Visara Visarisa. So he takes his whole entourage and he's either interested in convincing him to leave them alone or surrender. But at least he's listening to Zanjin and leaving the city. And he has him arrested and he takes them all away. Nebuchadnezzar is not exactly one to completely keep his promise. So not one of these fellows you could trust. He's not going to destroy the base of Mittish only because it's not worth his while right now. main reason is that Hashem wasn't Gezi yet. But in his mind, he's not just destroying it, but opportunity to make money and make a mess and show them who's who, he's not going to pass up. And unfortunately, he raids the base of Mittish and he takes the Eitzers. Yetzim Misham is called Eitzers, Beis Hashem, Eitzers, Beis HaMelech, whatever was left in the world treasury. The Akatze says, Kol Kleazav Asher Asa Shlama Melch Yisrael Bechel Hashem. We wouldn't even think this is like Bekavadik for him. He apparently doesn't care, and this is what emperors did. Not only did he take all the money and all the treasures, you picture him opening up the chest, smashing the boxes. He's now peeling the precious metal off the walls. I, I don't know. I had to be there. I would have thought, like, you don't have enough money? Isn't this embarrassing for you? This is what you have to do. Yeah, yeah. So that's a that's a, unfortunately a good example. It's like, it looks to us like it makes you look even more greedy than we know you are. Like why? But apparently it didn't face him. Why did he wait till the eighth year if he was like? It. I described the whole back and forth and discussion with his cabinet in one minute. Nothing happens that way. Travel. He left. You know what? What we just read. The army came. <laughs> We left at the siege. There was a siege. I, you know, this uh, takes a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Where not, I mean, Eretz Yisrael is the center of the world, and everything is happening because of the Yidden. But Lamaisa Hashem always makes it look like there are other things going on, and yeah, 
there is a soap. That's not surprising to me. And after a while, cabinet say, yes, ridiculous. You have another king sitting on the throne. He's a threat. Who knows what? Then he can cause everything to unravel. He said, okay. He was more than happy to get to it. But your example with the Nazis and Mahshimam is, is a good example. It's like, it's, we would think it's not even Bukovic. Like, come on. Like, everybody have some pride. You got to stand here and have your mentate. The answer is whatever was peelable and whatever could be unscrewed was unscrewed and precious metal is precious metal. And of course, yeah. Uh, they didn't, he wasn't sweating, don't worry. Uh, he wasn't, uh, but... By, by Nazis as well. Yeah, yeah. I just think that, like, it's, it's uh, I guess, a funny question to ask to say something's not Bukovic for a Russian Musha who couldn't care less that his whole etzem being was not Bukovic. Okay. The answer, but well, just the yeah, I'm pointing it out for a reason. What? Yes. So what's interesting? That's a good point. So the thing about the rabbit is the rabbit he was doing himself. That's the subject of point. Yeah, you didn't find him standing there with a chisel going like this. He was in the palace, probably holding meetings with the international community and how to fix up the world. And yeah, he had to. There was some facade. That's. That's why I'm pointing out that if he's already holding himself, even the craziest not. Hitler he still had, he had a concentration camp that was there for the world to show everybody what nice people they were. And he had some pressure from the Swiss press when they reacted finally, too little too late, to things that were going on. And it put pressure and allowed the Swiss people to snub their nose a little bit and get some Jews over the board. There was some international pressure that worked a little bit to save every, every life is precious. So something... It's not because he was nice, it's because he had a reputation to uphold. But they did things for show as well. They, they, well, it was all for show. No, they set up that camp for show. But why do they have to do that? The answer is there's a PR battle, and there's only, there's some extent to how ridiculous, foolish, and wicked you can look to the world. Uh, apparently, he pushed the boundaries that apparently he really didn't care because, well, he didn't plan on getting caught. But there's, uh, not because there was any humanity in Hitler, it's just that to fight a war, there's a war on the ground, there's a war of PR, and the angrier you get your enemies, in this case the allies, the quicker they're going to be uh, having an incentive to go into the war. And that's really what happened. My example of Switzerland is one example. had a limited effect, but it saved lives. Because at least the people fighting were incentivized to, to go and say, this is ridiculous, what an evil regime, we've got to do something. And there was something to that. That helps the war effort on the positive side. There were American GIs. As they, the more they saw, the more they were pushing to, to fight this war. Otherwise, especially with Americans, you always have this isolationist, which is what they had, why they came to the war so late. It was only the Adashem and Pearl Harbor to get them in. Is What do we need this for? It's across the world, and not our battle. And what do we got to fight battles for? There's the, the humanitarian aspect is something that does galvanize even though what directly brought them to the war was the fact that they were being attacked, which is why Hashem arranged that, so to speak. Uh, yes, so he wasn't there chiseling, and the rabbit was still a concern of his, uh, and we'll get to that soon. That didn't happen just yet. It's going to happen. He's going to point at Sitkiel as the last king. And right now, they're chiseling away. Again, Pasuket Gimel, V'yetzim Misham is called Itzis Beis Hashem, V'yetzis Beis HaMelech, V'yekatzis is called Klei HaZal, V'sha'asa Shlomo Melech Yisrael, V'yechal Hashem, K'asher Diber Hashem. Part of the story with Yechanya, when he's going to be rotting in the bar, how he survived decades of that, I don't know. The jails then didn't have exercise programs, three meals a day, and time to stretch your limbs. He was in a bar. 
standing room only. I know that because the next story the Chazal tell us that the Yidden were very concerned after a long time that Malchus Beis David is going to be over because he can't have a child. And they had to, it's a pretty wild story, but again shows you, not because Nebuchadnezzar was nice, not because he had a nice bone in him, but they realized that if they pressure somebody who knows somebody who is the hairdresser for the uh, Mrs. Nebuchadnezzar, and they convince her to convince Nebuchadnezzar to let his wife into the bar, maybe there'll be some hope. And it worked! Yad Hashem. But she sort of told Nebuchadnezzar, that's not right, you know, he's a king. They left him alive for a reason, per our discussion a few weeks ago. Whatever their sphere was, they had some political reason to treat another king as a king that they didn't just kill them all the time. And he had him in the bar, and the bar was nice enough for him to survive, but it was still a bar. And the Vilchanetzah said, okay. But her pitch was the humanitarian pitch. Well, you're a king and he's not a king. It's not nice. He said, okay. I don't think that's because he became nice. It's because uh, the wife is asking already, so you've got to give in a little bit, and if you get her angry, maybe she's going to tell other people. I can't imagine Nebuchadnezzar was nicer than King Henry VIII. If I had to pit the two against each other, it'd be an interesting cheer. Uh, neither were too nice, but I think Mrs. Nebuchadnezzar, I don't want to dash and uh, schwach too much, because I don't know if she's a steak is, but the only thing we know about is this one story, and it's a pretty big schluss that she facilitated the king of Amalus Beis David, a pretty dangerous request. He could have said, off with your head, to quote somebody else. And he didn't. Why not? The answer is, got to do things once in a while to make you look like a normal emperor. So I'm sure once in a while he had meetings with international leaders. Not like the meetings we have today. The meetings we have today, people come to the table, they look like they're equals, even though they're not. The Luchanetzar, they're all bowing down, prostrating themselves and... And he's probably talking about things like international unity. That means you all be good and pay me taxes and don't rear your head. It was a different type of meeting, but I'm sure he had such meetings when he wasn't eating rabbits privately. So it's not that much different today. It's just that it's not politically correct to treat people like that. But it's the same thing. The people who could throw their weight around, they're throwing their weight around. Still, the meeting still ends up with some guy from China, some guy from the U.S., some guy from Russia trying to call the shots. So it's still the same, but it's a little bit less toxic, we hope. Let's go back to the Pusik. Again, Yud Gimel. V'yetzim Hashem, it's called Yetzim Beis Hashem, V'yetzim Beis Amalavi, Katzis is called Kli Azav, Asher Asa Shlom HaMelech Yisrael, Behechel Hashem, Ka'asher Diber Hashem. V'higla Pasik Yedalid. You know what? We don't want to end in a bad thing, even though that was it. We'll have uh, some time for the uh, Teres Abayas, if you took one. I don't know if you took a Pelier or Teres Abayas. I wanted to make a little headway, still on Shavuos and Palmatera material. See if you can grab one nicely, and I'll grab Svarim, but take one quickly. Uh, yes, Chavis Haim always, uh, especially when he tells you, reminds you what Yechiv my Palmatera. Uh, let's go back to page... Lama Bey's where he left off in the second paragraph. He's talking about the tricks the Yitzhahara plays on our mind to convince us that we're learning enough and you don't have to add to the schedule. So the first thing you got to know, he's a chakran, and don't believe him even though the Yitzhahara is also pretty, pretty politically correct. And he'll give you many reasons why you're doing enough. Hine, second paragraph, page Lama Bey's. Hine, Linyan, Siba, Harishayna. He lists four main reasons why people feel they don't have to increase 
they're learning. The first one is plain and Pashat Oymer Mutter that Mechatesi, there's a Chiv. I already had my Seder share in the morning and night. Just because I have some time at lunch doesn't mean I have to continue. And the Chafaz Chaim says, he holds Meikar Hadin. The Chiv of Hasmodi is Meikar Hadin, and it's not an option. Even those who say you could technically be Yetzi with a little more than a little, more than, a little at night, it uh, doesn't mean that you're uh, not leaving your main Tachas Chaim on the table. So it comes out the same thing. You'd have to be a Sheita to leave any Talmudar on the table when it's connected Kulam, as he will explain. The hetari is working, sleeping, eating, some R&R to the extent you need, and you've got to figure that out. And after that, the chiv of Tamatera is still there. It was there the whole time, and it comes back into play. Kaimalon, it's interesting, Raya, comes to Bich Zateri, you say it in the morning, and then you go to work. Have a long hefsik, and then you open up the farm by lunch. Doesn't even give you to the end of the day. Why don't you have to make a new Bich Zateri? You had a three-hour hefsik. The answer is, there's no hefsik because there's no hesachadas from learning, and you have an ongoing chiv the entire time. So if somebody would stop, or the client would be late to the meeting, you'd have a chiv to... Think and learning, if you have the opportunity, open up the safer or do something. So there's no Hesachadas. Yes? Oh, excellent question. So, <laughs> so when we get to Dalit, we will get to uh, uh, those are the good ones already. Uh, so, yeah, we will get to that. The answer is that comes in the R&R, and you got to know how much. It's preferable, if you're reading something already, to read something from the Torah Hashkafa, read something that gives you some Musr Haskel, as some of the editors in some of those magazines always to try to put in even a completely secular story. Some Musr at the beginning of the end, something you could take away, but you're a thousand percent right. If you get lost in it and devour 250 pages at a shot, and even if you read fast, it's uh, two and a half hours, um, that's a lot of R&R. And you have to be honest with yourself, did I really need that much of a breather? The Rabbi Vegar wasn't that difficult, and I have to cool, cool down a little bit, uh, five minutes, ten minutes, uh, twenty minutes, you've got to figure out what you need. And that's the Yetzirah over here, is that if for a Ben Terra, for a fun person, he's not going to get lost. We already figured out, I hope, we're not reading the secular press in a way that they're printing preachers and we're looking at it thinking this is mutter and then printing Lashon Hara. We're, like, we're trying to have from publications to cut out the preachers Lashon Hara and all that is not a perfect science. And with that, we think it's mutter. The answer is, well, then you hopefully got away from the Yisurim. Now you just have to figure out the Bittal Torah aspect. How much are you allowed to read for your R&R and to keep up with the, with the times? And that's, um, that has to be assessed. But, so. mean, a lot of it you could consider the, the Torah. If it's a direct Torah article, then you're fine. And if it's a, an important Musrashkafa, we try to learn from whatever is going on around us. And we here in the shul try to contrast the uh, proper Ashkafa with what's going on in the world quite often. But you have to know when you're fooling yourself. And, and there's how much the R&R is necessary just to um, have a breather. The question is how often and to what extent. And then even when the Yitzhah is trying to convince us we need this for the Ashkafic point, uh, do you really need to spend two hours reading about this uh, terrorist or this detective and this and that to learn at the end? The moral of the story is, don't waste your time with being a detective. That's a good one, sir. <laughs> but you probably didn't have to read the entire storyline to get that message. So you have to know what you're holding and you have to know uh, 
what you can handle, but Chavetz Chaim's message over here is you can probably handle more than you think you're handling now, and the Torah requires you to try to handle more than you're handling now. That's going to be the message over here. So there is room for it, and Baruch Hashem Achshadara, we're in a place where at least you're not reading Kfira and looking at Pritzis and uh, blatant Lashon Hara and anti-Semitism. That's the good news. And the other news is, the downside of that is you could think that this is a mitzvah rabbah, and therefore not go back to your Gemara as quickly as you would have. That, that's the uh, difficult balancing act. So getting back to his Dik and Bechsatera, first word line, Lund, the Kaimalam. If you take a long nap, we discussed that yesterday. Is that a hefsek? When you have to do it and when you can cover yourself perhaps with Avasalem, learn after Shmon Esrei. You took off your trillin, you went to the bathroom, you have to make a new bracha because you were in a makam, you couldn't wear them. But even if you didn't, if you took them off for a few minutes and you know you had das not to put them on, you're going to work. So then if you happen to have a pair of trillin at work and you want to put them on, we don't normally put them on more than davening because maker is supposed to wear them all day. We don't do it because we're worried about a machshavas. If you put them back on, for whatever reason, you've got to make a bracha because of course it was hesachadas. By learning, there is in one second. The Kalinian Limatera and Ashaya Chesachadas, Choshaita Vashaita Mekivish and Nifna Measak of Chiyavalel. The learning is a heter, the working rather, is a heter to stop the learning. And there are times during the day you have a break and the meeting is late or you're having a board meeting, Pshutakamashmo, and they don't need your input every minute. You can think of learning unless they're about to call on you and you're not going to be focused and you're wasting the boss's time because you have to get back into the meeting. But if it's not stealing from the boss and uh, everybody else is spacing out or doing whatever they're doing on their phone, um, then you could take a break. Yes? Since it's possible to learn in the bathroom, why isn't it the well? Happens to be there are some interesting mice in the Gemara where there was some who learned in the bathroom out loud not on purpose, they just were anusim, because we have halachas that are set over, I heard from so-and-so in the bathroom. And all the professionals say, you heard from so-and-so in the bathroom? He was thinking of learning, he said it loud enough, the answer is he wasn't trying to give share in the bathroom. He was an, he was an anus. Now that's a case that's unusual. Halavai, we should be on that madrega. And while a person is actually using the facility, they can't learn, but it sounds like Chavaz Chaim is treating it as another heter, Panasa, and Tillin is a Chavsa Shalkadusha. You can't bring that in. So you have to have it up here. Your mind is not a, your brain is not a Chavsa Shalkadusha. It is, but we don't treat it as such. So the fact that something is in your head and Yetzir Tamatayra thinking uh, is not something you're supposed to do Lachatchila in the bathroom, but it doesn't puzzle the. Uh, you understand? The, the tone you can't bring in. The thing has to be left there. It's, uh, I think the hefzik over there is more, uh, more concrete. But yes, l'chatchili, we don't think of learning in the bathroom. I have people complaining to me, big tzaddikim, who they have a yetzahara, they only think of learning in the bathroom. Uh, and uh, <laughs> they said the strangest thing, the yetzahara, they, they, while they're learning, they're thinking of everything else, and in the bathroom, they, uh, somehow it comes easily. So yeah, that's the yetzahara at work. Lamaisa, Chavaz Chaim's raya is, is that you don't have to get back into it in terms of the bracha because there shouldn't be a hefseh because the chiv is hovering over the entire time. And I guess we're not going to finish the paragraph now. We'll, Mr. Shem, continue it on Shabbos.
It's again the uh, scoff on the backdrop. The whatever when we're learning Navi, we cover a lot of it.